0: Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, your mind. Isaiah 43 1. That's nice. Uh, almighty and everlasting God, mercifully behold us who have been made your children through baptism. And according to your grace, grant that your promises be fulfilled in us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, let's see. I'll send around uh, attendance things. Go ahead and sign in if you will. I'll send around a money bag. We just sent $3,000 to Finn this week, so that was nice. When people travel, um, we tend to send money with them, and it's always nice if the sooner the better. So that's just kind of reporting out to you. We were able to send him some money this week, so that's nice. Uh, Let's see. Anything else? Questions about anything else? Next week there's a voters' meetings, and then I think the next week there may be... Uh, a reception for teachers, so I don't know exactly what the next couple of weeks are going to look like. Um, but, you know, kind of stay tuned. We're pushing to the end of this. I'm sure we could just push through and finish up, although I do find the stuff fascinating. So, uh, if you had to say... Now we did, you know, done two, two bits on James four already. It's kind of embarrassing when you come back to the same outline three weeks in a row. It means I'm probably yakking too long. If you had to say, um, if you could sum it up, you know, we're getting toward the end of this, and uh, you know, Galatians is about the great gift of being, you know, pulled into things. Although uh, one of my favorite verses is after Galatians, <laughs> it's so much about grace, uh, is the beginning uh, of Galatians chapter six. Well, actually, five is great, too. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And then chapter 6, verse 10, do good. Just just do some good. Just try to do some good. So you can't really play Paul and James off against each other. But this is a pretty sharp section from James. If you had to say, um, I was trying to think about this because I I feel like it may have been too esoteric in the past couple of weeks for you. If you had to say uh, what's gone wrong in a sentence or two, what would you say? If you had to talk about James to somebody. Um, if, you had to, if you had to say what, what, what goes wrong with us, what would you say? The clue is I'm fishing for a pure Augustinian answer even though I'm not, uh, I try, try not to be Augustinian. There was Luther who once said "Then I was free with Augustine. Yes, Mr. Mack. Uh, thank you very much. You're just speaking for yourself, right? <laughs> yes, okay, good. Or selfish is the answer. Okay, can I push you a little bit? Good. So selfishness—how does selfishness display itself? I'm going for broad. I'm going for a broad stroke here. Good. Okay. Good. So we think about ourselves first. Our needs, as opposed to the needs of others. Let me push it a little harder. Give me a—what uh, virtue is being corrupted when you talk that way? It's a horrible question. Isn't it horrible when I have, don't you wish you could read minds right now? Because it's right, it's right. like, humility? Uh, humility is actually great because that's going to be one of them he gives us. But um, he pushes up a little higher than that. So you're doing great. It's, this is just a fake. I ask you a question so I can say what I really want to say. It's no different than anyplace else. Anybody else? That, I completely agree with you. You know, we're, we're selfish and we lack humility. Um, which commandment does that break? Maybe we can push it at that way. I uh, thank you very much. And the first commandment is: Hold on, just a second, because Miss Loes may have a brilliant thing. Yes, it is idolatry. And what is idolatry about? What's What's This is brilliantly done now. So, you you start to talk about division. Why is there division? Selfishness. Why selfishness? Because we think about ourselves. Why do we think about ourselves? Because idolatry. You just got to push one click farther. What's the first commandment about? Yes, and what, about having other gods. And so, what's the now you who can remember the catechism? Um, we should, first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before us. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust. It's basically a love question. So if you want to send everything, if you want to sum everything up in, uh, in James about what goes wrong, or you want to, if you want to sum up, this would be Augustine, we could you know, someday over a beer talk about the fine points of this, but um, if you want to sum everything up, and idolatry just gets right to it, we love the wrong things, okay? Just like, it's just that simple, which I think would be, Mr. Mack, another way to talk about selfishness. Just love the wrong things. Or we love our things too much. In some way, our love is aberrant. So we love the wrong things. Now, going with that, um, in the previous couple chapters when Gainig was going strong, uh, what, was the, what was the primary thing that James slash we're talking about in two and three. What's the primary way that, our, that our, um, our aberrant love or our less than real loveness expressed itself? How's it expressed? We it all about ourselves. Good, and what, how does it take physical expression? It is all about ourselves, and James is big about, about what, how that takes physical expression. How does it, how's it take? What's the one thing that James is on about? The tongue, right. See, again, this is very simple. I was kind of worried the last two weeks that I was making it too difficult for you. This is very, James is a very simple book. We love the wrong things, and we tend to talk about what we love, right? Now, um, if you've ever been in love, you, uh, you might know that um, the line between love and hate is very, very thin. You know, to cross from love to hate... Especially when love is aberrant. It's very easy to cross from love to hate. It can happen almost instantan- instantaneously and with some ferocity toward people and toward things. So, so here's the thing. If you, if you can think about it in this way, if you say, if I say, I really hate you, or if I say to you, I really hate her, or you would never believe, you would never believe, right? That sounds like well, let me suggest to you, that is a sort of aberrant love. which, is, which ma- It's a hatred, but it's because I love one thing, myself, my stuff, whatever, however it is that you're annoying me. I love that more than I love you, and in my speaking hatefully of you, I'm actually manifesting an aberrant sort of love. I'm actually showing you that I love the wrong things. Now, all the way back to Mrs. Lost who said, all our problems are that we have idols, which in fact is true. There's no sin that's not a sin of idolatry. Um, You didn't really need Ten Commandments. You just could have settled for one. The other nine just glossed the first one. Uh, All the troubles that we have and all the sins that we do and all the pains that we feel uh, are the result of an aberrant love, of loving the wrong things and then stirring the pot, stirring the chaos by talking about the wrong things that we love. And so if you can think about that now, you reread, you know, James 4, 1 to 11. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, you see, the things you're passionate about, you're passionate about the wrong stuff, you love the wrong stuff. Those passions are at war within you. You desire, you love something, and you don't have it, so you murder. You covet, you love something wrongly, and you can't have it, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you do not ask, so you don't love your prayers enough even to learn to pray in the name and ask for what you need or what you should have. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. Why? Because you ask in a spirit of selfishness. And you spend it on your passions, on your aberrant loves. Remember, we worked at this, the, the, the Greek word for hedonism, you know, almost comes in. You adulterous people, you know? And that can be, you know, the normal sort of adultery, but the greater adultery is to, de- is to, is to, 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 to deceive and um, you know, pull back from the bride of Christ. Don't you know that friendship with the world, loving the world, is enmity with God? You know, is anti-love for God, is, is a rub with God, and actually goes over the line to hating. <coughs> Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, if you want to love the world, he makes himself an enemy of God. So um, you're defined by what you love. If you love the wrong things, um, It'll just be the end to you. That's partly why you know, you've heard us say all there is to life is the Eucharist. There isn't anything else. The Eucharist is all there is. Why? Because the Eucharist is Christ. Okay? There just isn't anything else. So in the church, post-baptism and advanced by absolution, you come to the Eucharist, which is the center of life. There isn't anything else because the Eucharist is Christ. If you love that deeply, if you adore that deeply, if you confess that deeply, if you receive that often, your love is realigned. You're forgiven and you're drawn near. It works on you, it pulls you in, it draws you close, right? So if you love the wrong things, there's, you can either love God and everything else sort of falls um, you know, down some other place, and, and you begin to think about things as neutrals that can be used. Money, for example, is a neutral. Some people will argue it's a good. That's always wrong. Some people will argue it's an evil. That's usually wrong. Um, money is a neutral that can be drawn into the service of God or not, uh, depending on how you love. So you dispose of, do you suppose it's no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit, he loves deeply, for that which he has made to dwell in us, or really that which he has made. But he gives more grace, uh, love applied, the cross applied. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, and now we work back around to uh, Mr. Max humility, which we'll get to um, to today, because humility uh, is to be nothing but given to humility. Biblical humility is not where you sort of skulk around and say, you know, poor me. It has really nothing to do with self-pity or self-abasement. To, to be humble in the scriptures is to be given to. You don't rely on your own resources. It's why you, It's why the pastor prays with open hands, at the altar. You know this is the, this is the posture of, I've got nothing, uh, but if you could just fill up these hands, that would be a good thing. See, that's that's a mark of humility. It's why people pray with their classically with their hands open is one of the postures. So he gives grace, and he he gives grace to the house. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. We need to talk about that. Resist the devil; he'll free from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched more mourn weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And finally, then, he will exalt you. Now, did you tell me, Judy, I was at point four. Is that what you told me? Did you tell me point four? Thank you very much. I'm growing older and forgetful now. So it would be nice if you sort of help me along. This is, you can tell, you, can sort of, you take care of the old man, then you see he kind of dawdles along a bit, and you, you know what. So uh, here's what I'd suggest to you, point four, when things go badly. So I, I just give you that as a summary. I give you that as a summary point for James so far. Um, love God and all is well. Love anything more than God, and it's hell on earth. And James describes that, and... Um, he tries today to set you back on course. So, uh, when things go badly, do a couple of things. Don't accept troubles and fights and chaos as the status quo. Uh, creation. He loves so much. God loves so much, he needs more to love. Needs is the wrong word. He loves so much, he wants more to love. Because love is always another thing. So. The Trinity, in this paracritic dance of love, they love each other so much, they say to themselves, wouldn't it be nice to love more? And love always has an object, and in that they create, and you remember the creation, the first thing they do is order the chaos, let there be light, and the chaos is ordered, and then it becomes better, and better, and deeper, and better, and better, and deeper, and better, Uh, fifth day, sixth day, and seventh day, everybody rests in love and all is well. (coughs) So um, chaos is not and cannot be status quo in the church. You know, if you're at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, you go and be reconciled. You know, to love deeply in the church is to be reconciled. There is no, um, you, you, you may not accept it as the status quo. And, um, and, and we gave you the, the first word there, um, agnos, the worst word for what's good, but it also is the word for what's true, right? So, first Christ, and then what's true, and then everything else falls down automatically. So, when things go badly, St. James then poses a few questions. So, I flip from the page to five. Um, four, verse one, the, the why question. You know, why the trouble? Why the fight? What's the source uh, or the birth? You know, the, 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 you know, kind of the literal expression of that is something or somebody is birthing evil, somebody or something is birthing chaos, you know? It's not natural, it's unnatural. You think of those horror movies where things are always popping out of people? Gah! Betty, you don't watch those, I know, so that didn't make any sense, but I'll get, get cable and then we'll talk about this, okay? But occasionally, you know, things are coming at you. It's like that, who does that? Um, where does it come from? It comes from our aberrant love, from our lust, from our passions. There's the word, uh, which comes hedonism, easily to us. And note here the switch between the end of chapter 3. Things were so good at the end of 3. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, sow Christ and peace springs up. Sow anything anti-Christ or even less than Christ and you'll deal with, uh, you know, all sorts of things. And, and do remember the parable Jesus told about the sower. One of the most interesting, you know, there's a couple sowing parables, but do you remember the one, do you remember the parable about the guy who comes at night and sows weeds in the middle? It's so interesting because the, 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 it's not just that he sows weeds. He actually sows a counterfeit. The Greek word there is very close. It's a thing that looks like it looks like the wheat that's being sown among. So when it grows up, you can't sort of tell the difference. But the thing is, at the end, there's no payoff. It's a f- fascinating way to tell the parable. Because it's as if you don't, if you don't pay attention to what's going on, you're, you're tricked by the mimic. You, you think all is well, and you wake up one day, and um, all the bad stuff has choked the good stuff. It's a fascinating parable that Jesus used. It's zinnia, I think, is the is the name of the weed. I'm trying to remember, but um, it's very, very interesting. So you, you always pay attention, because what we love, of course, our greatest deceptions are deceptions about what we love. And to love self is to insist that we're right, and the more we insist we're right, the more we love. And the more we love, the more we become self-righteous and it's this never-ending thing that if it doesn't get broken in us You live your whole life wasted and you come to the end and you're like those weeds that have grown up and there's nothing Great sadness. So, you know, the opposite is to Obviously confess be forgiven and move forward toward loving what's correct So and here here's the only way through and this is just, it's so blasted important, and we think it's so simple, but, you know, it's one of those things where, it's like Luther said, if anybody can tell the difference between the law and the gospel, you know, give him a doctor's hat, give him a Ph.D. and let him teach. It seems simple, but it's not. Same thing in what we love. So here's, here's how you can always tell when it's gone wrong, whether it is public, objective, and external. Christ speaks the ten words and he lives the 10 words in in his life, and 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 he speaks them again in the Sermon on the Mount, and he fulfills them. So there's this objective, external standard for what you should love. Love God, love his name, and love the Eucharist. Commandments one, two, and three. Love God, love his name, and love the, and while you're at it, love your family, love your spouse, Love everybody around you. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, and be satisfied with what you've got, which means love your life the way it's been given to you. It's an objective standard for what it is that you're meant to love. First God, and his name, and his altar, and then the family you've been put into, the spouse and children that you have, the people who live next door, the rest of the world, and, if you will, the truth, and sustenance that God provides for you. With food, and ra- with food and raiment, let us be content, okay? So there's an objective standard for what it is that you're meant to love. And um, it goes wrong when um, we privatize that. What ple- pleases me? See, the question is what pleases you? What should I love? The, the answer to what, I, what should I love? The answer is whatever God asked me to love. Um, more and more I find you know, people ask questions about evil. Um, they ask questions about how their life is sorting out. They ask questions about what the Lord is up to. I just think those questions hardly have currency as I get older. You simply confess the fact that the Lord is for you and not against you. And he's not gonna hurt you. He's not gonna, he's not gonna stiff you in the end of the day and then you, you, you take what comes. So that's a way of loving what the, how the Lord reveals himself. The opposite is about me, that my, I live by assertion, not by proof. Sometimes people will say, you're evil, or that's evil, but they give no Christological reference to that. You, we should have learned at creation that only God speaks realities. Everybody else gives proof, okay? Only God speaks realities. When God speaks, it's good because God speaks it. What God does is good because God does it. If God kills me, that's good because God killed me. If I kill myself, that's evil because I preferred to take that option out of his hand. And everything else backs off from life. So, um, what God gives, you receive as good but you simply can't say to somebody, you're evil, or you've sinned, or this is good, or love that, or this is gonna be okay, or don't worry, just this one time. You absolutely cannot do that. That is, that is to, to love aberrantly, to love the wrong thing, not to love well, to love evilly. It's extraordinarily important that you sort out what the object of your love is. And the only way you can do that is through rigorous you know, kind of confession and absolution. I regret that I've grown up in a church um, where we didn't learn to confess privately from the first day we were born. Because without that sort of rigorous self-examination, we, we end up living in delusion. We think that we're all kind of okay. You know, even the catechism does a better job. And I, I bet, you know, I bet we don't do this. I bet we don't sort of run through the commandments before we come to the supper and say, you know, what, where have I loved wrongly? Where have I been aberrant? Where have I been sinful? We, we, we sort of take that too easily. So a, a good dose of self-examination is what James is pushing you into here. Um, so, you know, the key always is to want the church that Christ wants and not the church that you want. And the church that Christ wants is extraordinarily uncomfortable. You can tell when a church has gone bad when it only thinks about itself. The church... Jesus always extends his kingdom to the little the last the lost the least and the dead The moment you're baptized. It's no longer about you The moment your identity is changed by the call of Christ. It's about somebody else. It's not about you You can always tell it's gone wrong when people talk about what they want and what they need and what their interests are Especially to the exclusion of other people And that's why the church dies the church dies when it when it turns in on itself the church lives when it constantly thinks about the world, extending the kingdom of God. It's why in this Pentecost season, all the, all the parables and all the stories about what Jesus are doing is about extending the kingdom. Mark's whole gospel is about Jesus comes to extend the kingdom of God. John starts, repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. They chop off his head. What's the first sermon that Jesus gives, do you remember? What's his first sermon? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's go, let's go, right? So, um, once you love the wrong thing, it's just a matter of time uh, before, before you know, that reveals itself. You all know, I mean, Jesus himself said, out of the heart proceeds all manner of. Um, eventually, people are shown out by their works. I'm not, and I'm, you know, I want to be very careful to observe the notion that we're all sinners and saints, but at some point, the preponderance of evidence comes out. Uh, primarily by whether or not you're regularly being forgiven. You know, we're all, you you couldn't tell, you know, my sins from half the people who are locked up in Cook County overnight. Um, The difference is that I got to be at the Eucharist, maybe, you know, some of them too. The difference isn't that we're better than other people, the difference is that those things are confessed and come to forgiveness. Um, So if you wanna change people, you change hearts and you change hearts by exposing them to grace. You expose them to grace through the means, and now we're back to where we were of adoring the Eucharist, see? If you wanna change somebody's behavior, change their heart. If you wanna change their heart, you apply Christ. You apply Christ through the means that he gives, scripture, baptism, absolution, and Eucharist, okay? So that's, and that's why a disciplined and rhythmic life is so important. That's why if you, if you lose the rhythm of the Christian life, you lose it, that's why things start to go south. Because you no longer get the repeated exposure to Christ. It's extraordinarily important to have a disciplined life. So, um, I really want to get to the end of this, because it's, uh, so how did this happen? Well, we made the wrong friends. We loved the wrong things. I'm at point six. See, why does it happen? We've got bad hearts. We loved the wrong things. How did that happen? Well, We practiced. You know, how do you get good at anything? How do you get good at being bad? You practice. I mean, now, a lot of you have natural talent. Whoa, very serious crowd this morning. Okay, so, uh, you know, you know, you know we, have some, we have some natural talent for this. How, how, did, how did this happen? Well, you know, we practiced at it. We made the wrong friends. There you go, Betty. that a way to come through for me, Betty? Yeah, I'll give you five bucks. Okay, so, uh, we make the wrong friends, you know. Whatever we're joined to, whatever we love, and there it is the idolatry. So, you know, we can have the world as the Lord gives it, or, and, and we can have the Lord as Lord, or we, we can't. But, um, you know, you're married to Christ, and so you're meant to act in that way. So I'm going to flip the page and go to seven. So what's the an- antidote? The antidote is to be realigned with Christ. And I will, I will remind you, um, Pastor Gainey gave a brilliant little thing about the tongue, Uh, for two weeks, I mean, that was extraordinary stuff about how small the tongue is and what a big difference it makes and how tending your tongue, you know, James says nobody can do it and, and, you know, the tongue is just the end of us in so many different directions. So, um, you know, how do you come out of that? It was fascinating. Pastor Gainig ended with this and I started with this, which is it's always truth first. That's what the text says. So it's always Christ who is truth first and then everything else automatically falls down, right? Once you get the things that are true, you know, you worry about what's true first, and then everything else um, sort of falls into place. So we need to be realigned with Christ who is wisdom and Christ who is truth, big T, and in tune with what is objectively, externally Pure and holy, and then everything else falls into place. Look, look at look at just if you have a Bible open. But I'm just going to read you 17 and 18. They're a lot more fun than the bit we've been doing. The wisdom that is from above, and I just you know what, my text lacks a capital letter. I'd be much more comfortable if it was a big W wisdom. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, but that's um, that's the word we started with. Uh, the Agathos word that is uh, first true. You know, true, pure, holy are all kind of interchangeable, but sort of, to hear the Christological reference, but the wisdom, big W, Christ, um, that is from above, incarnation, is first true, big T. Then, see, so what you, once you get what is true, what's true and what's false, the most basic thing in the church is telling right from wrong. That's the most basic thing in the church. Churches go bad when they can't tell right from wrong. Churches go bad when they can't tell what's true and what's false. The most basic thing is to know what's true, and the most, the most true thing is Christ himself. Now we're winding all the way back to where we started, even in Galatians, which is the only real life then is a Christological life, a sacramental life, an incarnational life, a liturgical life, a life that lives and dies for the Eucharist which is to live and die for Christ, which is to live and die for baptism and absolution that precede the Eucharist, which is to live and die by um, scripture, which is to live and die by everything bundled together as a gift uh, of God the Father. So first wisdom, first truth, then what? Peace, gentle, open to reason, external standard, full of mercy, ready to give the benefit of the doubt and do good, it's about somebody else, and good fruits, and you can do the fruits of the spirit if you want, love, peace, peace, right, without uncertainty or insincerity. One of the most difficult things in chaos is to know which way to go. I don't know if you've ever, if you scuba dive, sometimes you can't tell which way is up. People die by swimming down, because they think it's up, right? You lose your way, right? Or in a storm sometimes, you get turned around. Or if you don't have a natural sense of direction, or if you blindly follow your GPS, which I don't believe really happens, I just think that's things that people say. Although Kirby will tell you the story about me turning onto the front yard of the post office in St. Louis, if you'd be nice to her. But that's, a, I, I was sure there was a spot there to turn, it. anyway, that's another story. But you know, without uncertainty, without insincerity, and the harvest, you see, and now let it go a little bit because it takes some time. These metaphors of yeast that rises and and gardens that grow. Takes a little time, you know, but eventually. Although some things do grow more quickly. I remember some people I read about who played bridge and they had a bamboo plant and they would play till the bamboo plant grew an inch. They put a ruler on it, so it's three or four hours, you know. So some things grow more quickly than others, you know. Um, And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, big P. Now you should hear angels singing over the manger, right? Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. This is utterly Christological, right? So here's the short answer. Love what the Lord gives you to love. What the Lord gives you to love is himself in the person of Christ. And when you do that, um, everything else just kind of works out. So, uh, Augustine um, love Christ and do what you will or Luther the Christian doesn't need the Ten Commandments right if you love Christ you'll know exactly what to do in each situation and every sin is sin is an antichrist every, every sin is an antichrist um, or love Christ and do what you will brilliant stuff It's great to have fathers who can say it like that. So, finally then, um, practically speaking, asking... Wait, did I scooch through some stuff here? No, that's all right. Practically speaking, asking rightly means receiving well, right? And this means... I'm at seven, kind of the second bullet point. This means we stop asking what we're passionate about and ask yourself what Christ is passionate about means wanting the church that Christ wants and not the church that I want. Or when we're in difficulty, you know, in trouble, the way out, and this was the very first thing I said a million years ago when we started this study that was wholly misunderstood by many folks. When you're in trouble, the way out is utter obedience to Christ. When you do not know what to do, obey Christ, and you should hear that as the gospel and not the law. When you do not know what to do, do exactly, rhythmically, with discipline, with a pure heart, with open hands, do exactly what Christ has given you to do, which is to remember your baptism, confess your sins, embrace your absolution, and go to the Eucharist, and leave the Eucharist loving the people around you. When you don't know what to do, Do exactly, without missing a beat, without missing a Sunday. Do exactly, with no slack in your life. Slack meaning, don't think you can do it five out of ten times and it's going to be okay. Do exactly. Hear that as the gospel. He's showing you the way out. Do this. As a kindness. Okay? Uh, And everything he bids, it'll work out. And I give you the text there, 1 Peter 2, 23. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. So um, you ask for heavenly things, trinitarian things, Eden things, Christ things, wise things, true things, and not things that are friendly to the world. Not power, not winning, um, not good reputation, not, uh, <laughs> you know, not anything that would please you. You watch Anthony Bourdain? Yeah, right, I love Anthony Bourdain. So the other day he's in Germany, your people. and. Uh, Man, you are a tough crowd this morning. So they're having a few pops in the beer garden, and this guy stumbles over the table, and they say, what do they do with that in Germany? And uh, they said, we have an old German proverb, gets you will love this. Once your reputation is ruined, you can live free. (laughs) There you go, man. Once your reputation is ruined, you can live free. So, say whatever you want, because at some point you can't do anymore. Uh, it's the Solzhenitsyn book. You remember where they, they throw the guy in the gulag. They, they, there's this horrible thing where they're pulling up this grate, and it's freezing, and they toss him down this hole, and they put the grate on. And he, so, this guy looks back up. Um, Tell the boys at the top, he says, when you've taken everything, I am most free. Yeah? That's great stuff. So, trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Um... And Christ wants us all back, so that's, that's kind of a nice thing. I really need to say something about humility before we go, uh, because it's important to understand that it's not a virtue that you manufacture by yourself. So grace is pure gift, and to be nothing but given to is humility. So this is the third thing under point 8. This is extraordinarily important, because people get proud of their humility, they mistake what humility really is, they try to manufacture it themselves. But if you're willing to be humble, and what, what humble means is, what humble means is you don't have anything. It basically means you're empty-handed. Okay, which is, which is great. This is, this is the story of scripture. I've said to you a hundred times, there's only one story in scripture, it's death and resurrection. If you're dead, you can be raised. If you're still slightly alive, we'll just have to wait till you're dead. Um, you know, if you're dead, you can be raised. Uh, if you 're completely out of gas you know if you 've got nothing, then you can be filled and sometimes that is miserable you know um, sometimes it 's miserable because we despair and can 't see our future sometimes it 's miserable because um, we can 't believe the jam we 've gotten ourselves into um, sometimes and i 've said this to you for years I, I had a uh, when I was Way back in college, I had a guy who, who was a pastor who was very kind to me. He was doing some advanced work at Stanford when I was there. And he said, you know, he said, he said, you'll know, you'll really understand sin when you do something. And then later you say to yourself, I can't believe that was in me. And that's proved to be very true. We all have those moments where we do things where we just go, gee whiz, that was not me. I didn't believe that was in me. The reality is it was in me you know, and it did come out. The other reality is is that Christ already knew that and died for it, so it gets forgiven, and you kind of, you just, you, you move on in, in joy. So, when you're humble, when you're not holding anything back, when Jesus can have all your sins, when you don't, you don't hold your sins back, when he just gets to take them away, and, and you don't miss them, you know, he takes away your sins, the only way they can hurt you is if you take them back. If you let him have it all, um, that's humility, to be nothing but given to. And so submit, and we always get all bent out of shape when anybody tells us to submit because we see that as being a loser. But in reality, submit means just having what Jesus is giving. So when he says submit yourself, he's just saying, wouldn't you like to have what Jesus is given? Submit yourselves therefore to God. That's a great gospel word if you'll hear it that way. Have what God is giving. That's all he's saying. He's God. You're not. He's Christ. Everything else is antichrist. Have what God is giving. That's what. A, what a great, You want to straighten out the chaos in your life? Have what God is giving. That's all that. It's 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 in the same. You know. It's in the marriage vows too. In the marriage vows, submit means you know have the gift that's being given. It doesn't mean that one person can push another person around. It doesn't mean that people say you know I'm the husband or I'm the father. That works. Well, in my experience, that's never worked. So, uh, man, you guys are tough. Okay, so, just between you and me, Kirby, just chatting a little bit, to forget all about it. I'll talk to you about it later. Okay, so here's the thing. I mean, when you have to say, you know, I'm the boss, you're clearly not the boss, right? At the point you're saying, I'm the boss, yeah, well, the game is over. So, uh, uh, you know, Jack, Jack, don't go public here on me, buddy. I've got hours during the week, okay? Yeah, he's confessing. He, I, didn't, I didn't hear it that way. It might have been my mistake. I didn't, I didn't. That can be forgiven, too. Okay, Maddie, you go first. So, um, you know, and resisting, just to kind of run you through the rest of these. So, so have what the Lord gives, and then just kind of stand still, relax in that. Resist in that means to stand your ground. Draw near, just, you know, that means, come on, let's go, have some more. This is good. The Eucharist is ready. Christ still loves you. And washing up, you know, the, the the word from which we get catharsis, and being pure, you know, these are all just words for what the Lord does to you. He draws you, he washes you, he cares for you. Um, certainly, you remember your baptism. That's a sort of washing up. It's all. This is all very sacramental kind of language. And when that's done, the Lord who lifts us up from death to life, from this world to Eden, um, and this can also mean, you know, can make you great. I mean, he can make make you a great person. He can make you a great family. He can make you a great church. He can make you a great influence. If you understand great to be Christological, he can make you a Christological person. He can make you a Christological family. He can make you a Christological church. He can make a Christological influence. You have to to let the biblical words mean what they mean. You can't substitute your own meaning. In the scriptures great means Christ. True means Christ. Wisdom means Christ. (laughs) Humility means being given to, nothing but given to by Christ. See? And it's not, it's not the, the meaning that we would put into them. And so this just replays your move from justification, being forgiven, to sanctification, living forgiven, and then from incorporation to participation, and especially giving up false gods to cling to the true God. And now we're back where we started. So if you want it, one way to straighten out everything we've done, and you know whether we'll come back to this, I don't know. I don't know what the schedule's going to look like in the rest of the summer. We'll, we'll let you know. But one way to think about this whole thing is loving the right things. And the right thing to love is God. And if God is loved the way he wishes to be loved, liturgically, sacramentally, Christologically, incarnationally, when he's loved in that way rhythmically, regularly, Uh, in a disciplined way, in an obedient way. You need to hear those as the gospel. When he loves you in that way, um, the world opens up. It's a wonderful place. Um, So there you go. All right, you'll just have to stay posted. I think the next two weeks are probably dead for this class, and then beyond that, um, I'll sort of chatter with the other guys. You know, it'd be fun to... Some of the best chapters are to come, and we haven't quite gotten there, and um, I don't know if we want to carry into the next year with this. We'll have to see, but, you know... We'll see what happens. Anyway, the Lord's good, what he's good for. Remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See ya.